Alright, mate. Are you... Uh, oh, you alright? I'm alright. Can we, uh, do you think the listeners will know that when recording this intro, two seconds after an intro for another one, or do you think everyone's going to start believing uh, in They will know. They, they will know now. Do you think everyone's going to believe that, like, we actually do it week by week? I mean, how many listeners are we going to have? <laughs> Six. If you include ten, us, ten people. If you include us, hopefully twelve. Right, good. I'm gonna listen to them. <laughs> we, um, we've done the the. Bo- I mean, I'll listen to them as well. I'm notorious for loving the sound of my yeah. own voice, so. Yeah. Right. Well, I tell you what, you got to do. Go on. You can't just when I send them to you, like you can't just let people hear them off your phone. You've got to say. No, I'm not. I'm not going to wait to come out. I yeah. know, but you're gonna to have to say to your mate you, to like Claire and that, listen to it on on an app or whatever, so that we get some uh, hits. How does that it? shit work anyway? Oh, I don't figure that out. So if you, anybody listen to this, we don't know how to upload this yet. I'll figure that out though. Yeah, you have to do all this. I'll figure it out. Technology bollocks. Yeah. Uh, anyway, today's fucking guest, man. Who we got? So I've been playing football with a bunch of lads for a couple of years now, and it's really cool. Me and Chase talked about it that time. Obviously, they're all different people. All have different real jobs and stuff. Nothing to do with music. So, but the guy Sid, who we're going to have on today, Simon Sid, uh, is like just works with dead people. They don't, talk, they don't talk back. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're uh, pretty boring. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he does like, uh, he's a funeral, I think he's done funeral directing before, he's been involved in funeral services and stuff for most of his work in life, I think. Um, and now does, uh, I think he's the guy that like, speaks at the funeral that, you know what I mean? If you're if you're dead, he's the guy you need on your side, aren't you? Like, yeah, so yeah. He, he's the one bigging you up and saying, listen, this guy's yeah. dead now, but when he was alive, he was fucking. He, he was a cool cat. He was the boy. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. He was the one. Even uh, even if you were a prick. He, I mean, most he, people most people are pricks, yeah. and I'm assuming that he has to try and convince people. Yeah. That they weren't pricks. Do you? Ever, I mean, do you, do you ever? You, ever, you haven't been to a funeral, have you? Been to? I've not been to a funeral. I've been to like yeah. Did you, you ever? I've never been to a funeral where they've like. Uh, well, they've said this guy, was, this woman, this guy was an was, a, was an asshole. They, they never, I would want they never that. Down you, they never do you dirty on your funeral. Enough like. people think I'm a prick anyway. That you think you're, you're not a prick, man. You, I know this is recording, but say what you really think. We can edit this if you want, but I think I would like the I like the idea of me funeral, just a guy saying like, remember when he did this? What an asshole! Yeah, and but wasn't he a prick then as well? I like in a jokey way. No, <laughs> I was a prick to an old lady. 20 minutes ago when we went no, for lunch. No, that, that old lady, that old lady. She was a prick, she was fair. a prick, she had it coming. Well, she had it coming, but I shouldn't yeah. have been a prick to her. I, I think you were joking though and she just took it. Well, I was half joking. She yeah. didn't take it well though. No. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't take her, I didn't take her well before <laughs> that, so. Uh, we could probably edit out the part where I'm saying I'm a prick to old ladies. Actually, fuck, yeah. keep it in. People know who I am. We'll bring it, bring it back. Um, Sid. Sid. I play football with him. He's a great football player as well, really fit. Um, Great guy, really funny, uh, which I think you kind of have to be to be in that line of work, so yeah. let's have a crack on with him. Looking forward to meeting him. So, I'm not a funeral director anymore, I'm a celebrant now. So um, I go meet families, learn about the loved one, and then write everything that they've said to us down and deliver the funeral on the day. Oh, if right. they want like a non-religious funeral or a religious funeral, but not with... A clergyman. Aye. Um, so it's like a, I can do a humanist service which is completely non-religious or 
I can inject a little bit of spirituality in it without being over the top, and which is, it's kind of like a middle of the road that a lot of people want because they may be raised Catholic or Church of England, but never went to church, but they're still not quite ready to definitively say that they're not going to heaven. Aye, yeah. Mm-hmm. Being a religious person that you are, and we'll get into that more later, um, which one do you prefer doing? I don't mind. I, I've, it's very rare that I don't inject a little bit of um, disguised hope into the non-religious ones. Right, okay. Um, like, I write a poem for every funeral that I look after, um, which is just a bit of a, a creative outlet, but it's also ended up being quite a good um, like a, a USP, because not everybody, not many people do that. There's mm-hmm. one guy who used to do it, and he died. So I'm sure he's um, buzzing that I've pinched his shtick. You look like now. Yeah, I can't do anything about it. No. He did me. He did me granddad's funeral, and I'd worked with him for ten years, and he called us Stephen for the entire funeral. Excellent. It's <laughs> brilliant. How long have you been doing stuff like involved in funerals then? It's like fourteen years. And really? Aye, I was twenty, twenty-four when I started. Right. Really young. Like for that. How, kind of how did How did you get started with it then? Um, my dad's done it, so my dad started oh, when right. I was 17. Dave, you're right. Told you. Yeah, you Every right. funeral director's something in sons. It's always something in sons. There's a couple of freaks like you just wanted to do it from school that I've, <laughs> I've met, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's weird. There's people who were just like, that's all I wanted to do, but most people fall into it. Like, I was a, I was a lifeguard before I did that, and it's not a there's, it's not a logical career step. Um, mm. But, can't save them all. So if you were a really bad lifeguard, you could boost the funeral business. <laughs> you could, you <laughs> kind of like a contra deal, isn't it? No, business is slow this month. Um, and my dad looked after, he did it for, well, for seven years, I think, before I even batted an eyelid. Um, but he looked after his dad's funeral, my granddad, big Catholic family. Everyone had their bit to do. Um, first coffin I carried. But my dad was like the the guy in the hat walked in front of the car who organised everything and that was for his own dad and a couple of his brothers and sisters um, he's got he's one of eight four girls and four boys Catholics um, and the, the two of them like went up to him after the service and were like why are you doing this for a company why don't you do it for yourself you're really good at it and he's like nah because I think he thought he was too old and it was it was too much tackle. Um in a, a Guinness infused haze I was like, whatever, if you ever did decide to do that, whatever I'm doing, even if I'm making like loads of money, mm-hmm. I'll wrap it in and I'll come and help you do it. Because I was really like, it lit a fire what he was able to do for his dad and the rest of us as a family on the day. And I'd never really appreciated it before. Um, but he just thought I was mortal, so didn't really act on it. And then about three years <laughs> later, um, he was doing the Blade and Races and there was two of their funeral directors. They'd all got sponsored. It was when they were building the Maggie's Cancer Centre at the Freeman. Um, and he's like quite a big fundraising guy. Um, so he was raising money for that. And he got all the funeral directors to sign up for the Blade and Race. Two of them got all the sponsorship and then realised there was they'd be dead if they ran that far. Um, so he got me and Gillian, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, to do it. Um, and it was just a really good atmosphere. They're like normal people. I was expecting to be, you know, sat in a, in a hearse with yeah. a lot of, yeah. like just with the Adams family, but they were just normal people with like yeah. really good sense of humour, uh, really just wanted to make a load of money for the charity it's and really have a good day. to have a sense of humour to do that, to, yeah. to do your job. Ah, uh, definitely. I know you're obsessed with like stand-up comedy, which we both talk about all the time. Uh, do you think um, 
you think it is a mask that you have to have a sense of humor about and do you like do you think without dropping yourself in the shit too much do you think people would be shocked by maybe some of the jokes you make when you're alone with other funeral people if that makes sense like musicians are always having jokes backstage about people in the crowd or whatever you know what i mean like Aye. It's like everyone um, jumps to the correct conclusion. I would say that there's a, a lot of uh, dark humour. Yeah, it's, it is, it's definitely a coping mechanism, but it was never, never ever to the detriment of mm-hmm. the deceased that you no take care of like that. Yeah. Like even if, um, like whatever you would talk about, it, it would never be like um, at the expense of somebody that you are taking care of. Mm-hmm. That was always hugely important, and it would be really, really frowned upon if it ever did happen. Yeah. So there must be, like, just, obviously, you must have huge respect for, like, like, I just don't, like, dead bodies, and it must be so strange, like... You have to. I mean, you've been, you've you've been entrusted with taking care of somebody's most treasured possession, Mm. and... It's not something that you get to do again. Like, if you think about the um, the reverence that's held towards, like, marriage ceremonies and things like that, mm-hmm. I granted, it is it is a very precious thing that should be revered, but statistically, um, more than half the people that do it are going to end up doing it again. Yeah. Or maybe not doing it again, but having the opportunity to do it again. Yeah. You don't, you don't get the chance to do, do a funeral wrong. You don't have any second chances, and that's why it's such like a high, a high stress and high octane industry. It's not because of the stress of what you're dealing with, because there's outlets what you can it's a one-time explore. Thing. But you, if like you can't make mistakes, yeah, there's no room for error at all. We so, ask uh, musicians about whether they've got any, like, gig horror stories and stuff. Has yeah. there ever has it ever gone wrong? Has anything ever that you can tell? Any like has anything ever happened where like obviously I'm assuming you've never dropped a coffin or nothing stupid like that, but. Has that ever been like? What if what if the fucking car breaks down? I mean, that's there's little things that happen behind the scenes, and the mark of a good funeral director and a good team is show. that they're able to work yeah. around it. Um, we've had cars break down. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, we had a car that broke down in Bladen when I worked at Gated, and they rang us. They were like, "We need a limousine. Have you got one spare?" And I was like, "Yeah," and I've got an hour spare, so I'll bring it over for you. Um, really got into sort of Starsky and Hutch mode like Hood Slade got in the limo out of the garage <laughs> and I was driving through gates and I went what I thought was going to be the quickest way um, I can't remember the name of the road but it's when it's, if you were going over the time bridge you used to be able to turn left and then go down towards like uh, the A1 and it basically it opens up into you, you turn left onto the road and it's like you're straight onto a dual carriageway mm-hmm. there was a learner in front of us and I was like, I haven't got time for this. I've got a funeral to get to. Yeah. <laughs> foot down on the bend and in this 22 foot long rear wheel limousine just didn't want to behave itself. So I overtook a learner and then immediately just snaked left and right and left all over the road. Bend it into the central reservation. <laughs> so I had a ring blade and I was like, you know that limousine that you were in desperate need of and we were the only one that I could provide you with? I've just absolutely banjoed it right into the middle of the central reservation the irony of can you get somebody else in a in a funeral car would be if if said yeah if you died yeah i mean there's a couple so cars is the biggest problem like in terms of like little fiddly things that would really wreck you like Uh, confidence if you did it personally but when you do there's always 
issues with cars when you've got like pool cars. There's always going to be like little dents and scratches. In one day, when me and my dad worked for the same company, <laughs> I, I took the wing mirror off a limousine, reversing it into a garage. Um, I put the the private ambulance, which is like it's essentially just a like a transit van, um, against a lamppost in Gosforth, well, on my way to the the chapel arrest. And my dad crashed the manager's car because there was no other cars available <laughs> in one oh, day. Jesus <laughs> we had a shocker. Was it, we can relate. Like well, this is worrying, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know... Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's a little bit similar if you think about it, what we do. I mean, I'm, tr- I'm going to try and be best to... To, to, to relate. To relate to, to what yeah. we do, obviously, being... Yeah, man, I, I've died on stage loads of times, like, so, <laughs> you know... I've seen it. <laughs> No, but like if 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 we snap a string or or something breaks, <laughs> we, we, we have to we have to keep going. We have to get on with the show, man. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's a similar thing. If our car breaks down, we fucking ring somebody and go, "I need to get yeah. this gig, man. Can you help us out?" So that's about as much as I can relate the two professions well, together. Well, what I was thinking there is like, how much prep goes into your funeral? Like, I mean, like, are, are you just that slick now? Because I know each one's probably different. People want different things and stuff, but how long do you have to prep and go right? This has to be done it at certain times and whatever there's a lot of um, contributing factors so from do you mean in terms of as a funeral director or what I do now we'll get on to what you yeah I think more as a funeral director so as a funeral director you generally from start to finish you get contacted um, it depends on where the person's passed away if they've passed away at home uh, they can give you a ring and say do you get phone sorry do you get phone calls before people are dead yeah damn that's fucking weird yeah so it's like if they're expected if if they've got like a terminal illness and they're at home and the doctors told them that they haven't got long. Like you book a funeral in. And it's like a Friday, and they're thinking, well, what happens if it's over the weekend? We better ring Aye. ring the experts Aye. and see what's what. That's and it's thing. essentially just a case of saying, well, when you're ready for us to come and, and bring them into our care, yeah. give us a call and we'll I come never thought that. I always thought, assumed it would be like, when they've died, then we'll ring the funeral people. That probably does happen as well. Like It's yeah. the other way as well, though. People yeah. will call when they've died and say, we don't want you to come yet because the his daughter didn't get there in time and she wants to come and say goodbyes Shit. and it's just a case of no yeah. problem just let us know whenever you're ready we've got everything we need and we'll be there as quick as we can see there's something that's different in, in, in Ireland or in Northern Ireland anyway like over here I've noticed when people die it's maybe 10 days or something before they get buried back home you're buried within like 3 days yeah, yeah, so yeah, you get buried yeah. as soon as you're dead it's like get them in the ground I always find that really weird like over here when I moved over I'm like what you still why no, are you buried I, I, yet? would you not prefer that though then it's like not, not, I know over and done with it's a bit harsh but like oh I prefer that I'm yeah, like I, I don't know how you spit up with it over here I'm like you know in certain cultures it has to be complete within 24 hours as well really uh, yeah that's is that like a like religious cultures yeah. and things like to do you do money other cultures um, cultures like for weddings and, uh, obviously it's like <laughs> there's a massive like Christian or, or traditional Christian type of service even if it's not religious it would still be that you would follow the same <laughs> sort of code of conduct that you would for a Christian funeral apart from who looks after the ceremony and it wouldn't be at a church it would just be at the creme or at the graveside um, but yeah this um, I, I've never I believe that the Muslim community in Newcastle and the Jewish community in Gates that have got their own people who take right, care okay, of them yeah. um, but I've had like obviously it's majority sort of white area as well so yeah most people are just after what we would class as a standard traditional funeral yeah um but i've had like the the odd one here or there where it's been something out of the ordinary um looked after a couple of sikh families 
think I've had one or two Buddhists, um, but nothing. I mean, I mean, essentially, everyone's on the same team, and if even if you don't know exactly what you're doing from the professional perspective. Mm-hmm. You do get trained on it, you do read up on it and get your facts right before you go to see them, but everyone's aware that you're on their team and you're there to help. So even if you don't quite get it right, if you explain that beforehand and manage Mm -hmm. people's expectations and say, like, please help me to to make this culturally acceptable from your perspective, people are more than happy to help you. It's like if you go and if if you're in a car somewhere and the person who's driving doesn't know where to go, you wouldn't be offended by giving them directions. I think yeah, if you if yeah. you make a, you set your stall out early and say, look, I want to do my best for you, please help us, <clears> then <throat> people have kind of got that in, in mind and they will. Yeah, and you you can't know everything about every culture's, you know, I mean, you might have picked loads of stuff up now, you know, you, you may be getting more, you probably know more about it than you did. But yeah. I suppose that's why you need, you rely on them to sort of give you... It's like anything, though, isn't it? The more you do it, the, the easier it becomes. Right. So, the, like... It, it got to a point where whenever a Sikh family phoned up, whoever was arranging for a funeral director to see them would be like, oh, well, Sid's done the last Aye. one. He knows yeah. how to get on. That went well. There was no complaints, so we'll Aye. get him to do it. Um, but I had a, my dad had a similar thing looking after children's funerals. Um, and that's when you get into the sort of murky waters because just because you're good at something doesn't mean that it's good for you to be doing it all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's no. not the same with the cultural ones, but it, that's definitely how I found it with, uh, like when you're looking at into sort of things like children's funerals. Well, are, speaking of like yeah. doing, of, of how it would affect you, me and Dave both have a stupid question each for you. Um, my stupid oh, question is absolutely nowhere near as bad as Dave's stupid question. So I'll do mine first just to get you ready for it. <laughs> it is a stupid question. Yours is, I mean, I, I'm not, not looking lying, forward to it. Like, no, no, it's yours. It's yours. There's no such thing as stupid questions. Oh, no, there, there is. There is. Stupid people. Oh, there is. <laughs> so mine is, mine is, when was the first time you'd seen a dead body? Was that's it? not stupid. That's, that's legit, that, isn't it? I know, but I'm just buttering up for how stupid yours is going to oh, be. Oh, right, right. Um, so when was the first, did that, did that freak you out? I've, ne- I've never, have you seen like dead professionally body? professionally or yeah, well, in general? Both, I've never seen a dead body. You'd be like, like in a coffin or anything like that? No, no never. Really? No. Yeah. I've seen loads, man. What do you mean loads? <laughs> I've known loads of people who've died. And I've seen them all in coffins. That's a culture thing, though, isn't it? Because is that not a cult? Do you, you have you have people home in the coffin yeah, so that everyone can pay their like respects. My, my dad sat in the house for three days yeah, in the coffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sat in the house. Lay in the house. Do you know what the weird thing with that was? The, the the cat still knew it was him. So the cat sat underneath the coffin all the time. Fucking strange, man. Weird. Oh, sorry, sir. I know he's asked you the question there, but you know when you were saying about like any disasters or whatever happened. So my dad was in the coffin, like they put him in like a white shirt or something, and you could see like fluid like the embalming fluid or something was leaking out through I don't know so we had to call the funeral directors in to come and I don't know I guess stitch him up or dry him out or whatever I don't know what it was so I remember that I remember he was lying in the coffin I was like fucking big wet patch just that appearing kind of, that kind of be nice like no. so yeah dead body I can't believe you've never seen I've never it. seen a dead body my, the only I've only been to like a couple of funerals in my life one was my granddad's funeral a couple of years ago and he died of cancer and just like wh- it- whittled away to Fucking five so over stone. here is it always coffin closed, like said, is that pretty mm-hmm. much like so in my uncle's so coffin's always open. People went and said goodbye to my granddad, my uncles wouldn't let me gun in, even at the age uh, of like this one is only a couple of years ago, but it's like you didn't want to say that. And I to be fair, probably didn't. Uh, I didn't visit him much when he was alive. Well sorry, yeah, sorry, Sid, what was it when was the first time you seen a dead body was there? I it was a similar vibe. Um uh, so my great uncle uh, passed away. I can't really remember much about that, I was quite young. Um 
But when me, it was my granddad that passed away that my dad looked after. So my dad's dad um, was the first time I'd been sort of present in the build-up to somebody passing away as well. Um, so he had like COPD and he was he was in a bad way and all he wanted was a tab. Um, and my dad wouldn't give him one. It's like, well, he's going to die anyway, but uh, he, he didn't get it. Um, and then he, so he passed away at home, full family around. Um, and I'm pretty sure that he, he'd had, they'd had like, obviously the eight children uh, doing sort of a bedside vigil, like nonstop 24 hours around the clock. So that when he went, he wasn't on his own. Um, and my mum doesn't drive. They lived in High Spen. So my dad had to take my mum to work and he was on his way back. And I'm sure that was when he, when he passed away, when he just had five minutes to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but everyone had seen him. Everyone who was, was coming to see him and say the goodbyes had done. Uh, we'd all, even the grandchildren had spent time sort of in the room with him, chatting away. Um, but there's loads of like, uh, interesting conversations that come out about that sort of situation as well. So like he was quite lucid at points and he was saying, he, he sat with my dad and one of my aunties and he was like, oh, there's me, there's me, man. They just automatically twigged. They were like, well, you can go if you want, you know, you don't need our permission. If you want to go and see them, get yourself away. Aye. And then I've heard loads of stories about people that have had, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but they've had the pleasure to be there with, the loved ones as they've gone because I think it must be the most terrifying thing in the world to to face on your own oh, absolutely yeah. so to be there with somebody I think is an absolute blessing to to be able to share that with them and make sure that they are as comfortable as possible and the amount of stories I've heard about either people going just as the last person gets there or hanging on for a birthday or an anniversary and then letting go or waiting until they're by themselves because they don't want to be a burden on anybody because yeah. that was what the character was like. And it just completely fascinates us. I can't believe that there's, there's not a level of control that you've got in those very last stages as to as to going out on your terms. And it's not something that everybody's blessed with, but there's so many people who've got stories that they've helped their families who've been left behind yeah. because of how... How they've yeah. um, dicted, how they've taken what's happened. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can only really list to my dad really, like, but that was kind of how he went out. So I was there with him, but sort of I went, I'd been there like all night with him, but I, we didn't know he was dying, and yeah. then um, we knew he was ill, but I'd been there like all night with him. So I like the nurse, the nurses were class. They were like, do you want a cup of tea or something? I was like, yeah. So they made me a cup of tea, and like as soon as I had the tea, they were like, oh, you need to come back in straight away, and then. It's kind of what you're saying. It's almost like he waited because they said you need to come in, and then just as I came in, like the, it was literally like something you see on TV. The heart rate monitor went down to like really? to like zero, and that was it. So it was like it's it was kind of what you're saying. It's like so I, I mean, they said come in, so they must have known he was on his way out then. Mm-hmm. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But uh, that kind of be nice way to watch though. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but you know, uh, just so, talking about this reminds me of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. But anyway, well, if you need a minute, man, that's all right. I'm all right. Also, let's uh, lighten the mood by moving on to your stupid question. Right, well, let's let's clarify. It's not my stupid question. It's my, my girlfriend's stupid question. So, uh... I wonder, you must have been asked this before as well. I probably must have done. She said, ask him... So that's why I'm deflecting off me. <laughs> ask him if he's ever buried anyone alive. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's not likely, but... Also, you wouldn't admit it. I don't. I don't know. Uh, nobody's been dug up with scratch marks on the inside of the coffin and whatnot. Oh, that's yeah, one from the... over your way, isn't it? What's her name? The lady who uh, died once, buried twice. 
I'll have to look that up. Hold on a minute. I'll, I'll go. That's that. a brilliant story. So while you're looking it up, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll paraphrase it as best I can. There was a a, a lady who um, who passed away in Ireland, and she was buried. Uh, she was like pronounced dead. Uh, had a funeral. Was buried. Turned out that she wasn't dead, and she managed to sort of like get herself out. Shut up, man. Made our way home. Well, like up through six feet of fucking. Yeah, I've got it. Made our way home. Uh, Braid on the door. <laughs> Husband opened the door and had a heart attack. Really? Yeah. What? And then... Did, so the, did they both die? On a stone, it says that she uh, lived once, buried twice. Yeah, I've got like it. It's, it's cool. Like it's, uh, literally says live once, buried twice. Did she... Uh, how, That's it. So how did she die, how did she die, die the second time? Well, it says here... She, in, it says like 1695. And it says she caught a fever and they believed it's her... It's when in dead. 1695? Aye. Oh, right, okay. I thought you meant this was like in the 90s or something. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Right, so soon after she was laid to rest, grave robbers who regularly ransacked newly buried coffins. Jesus. <laughs> so they dug her up. So this is how she got out. They dug her up because somebody tried to rob her while she was dead. And they attempted to steal the ring on her finger, but they couldn't get the, the ring off her finger. So they decided to cut her finger off. So as they, started, as they started cutting her finger off, she woke up. That's <laughs> the robbers ran crazy, off terrified. Man. I wonder if they ever robbed a grave again. Oh, uh, I wouldn't. That's insane. <laughs> so yeah, she made it home and the husband nearly died of shock. Oh man. So how did she die again? I thought you were going to say it was some like insurance job from the 90s or something. I think it's going to be pretty cut and dry the second time, Mike. I think she's had a... Yeah, like really... Uh, like, a share, really like, I don't think she died straight away. It looks like there's no more information on that. But yeah, so somebody tried... Some grave robbers tried to cut her finger off and that... Well, that's a lesson for them as well, isn't uh, it? That is a lesson. That's what people should do for grave robbers. Just sort of just plant a, just bury yeah. one person alive every month, and then <laughs> every time a grave robber comes, right, just you one know, a month. <laughs> well, whatever you know, what I mean, just to deter grave robbers. Does grave robbing still happen? I happened? don't know that it's as pernicious a problem as it was then to be <laughs> sacrificing one person a month. I just you know <laughs> that would be a kind of job. Right? Just go and have a nap underground from you, like it'd like, be like a, a like a lottery. Yeah, you know, it, like jury duty. If you get the envelope, what? So you have to, you have to do it. Oh, you have to get, volunteer might, for yeah, it. Jury duty. Oh, I might get buried this month. <laughs> He's thought about this a lot. This isn't your bit. I know. It, it, yeah. <laughs> this you, is more stupid than you, the stupid you, question. You will come and dig us up. Like, aye, twenty four. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you back out. We'll, we'll dig have you back like out. little TVs in there. Aye, keep you entertained. Aye, one a month. See, the, I think the Irish have got it right because there was a story recently in the news of a guy who had a wicked sense of humour and he got his son to put a Bluetooth speaker in his coffin when he was buried and before he died he recorded um, like hey hey let me out <laughs> class it's brilliant and you can there's a video of the of the funeral and it's like dead sombre the coffin's lowered and then all of a sudden yeah they're knocking and a couple of people who know about it are like <laughs> and everyone else is like and it takes them a minute to click on, but yeah. then obviously they've just got his personality so spot on by doing that, and he's obviously made a big fuss about it happening. And then as people start to realise, and a couple of people start to laugh, the others realise that it's okay for them to laugh, and yeah. it's it's great crap. That is class. Have you ever done any like, I don't know how you put it, but like a happy funeral, like a celebration, like a, or, you know, has there ever been like a that kind of thing? I think the majority of the ones that I do are. Aye. Particularly now, like the amount of um, people will thank you if you do a good job, but the amount of times people will be smiling and coming up to you and 
giving you a hug after having met them for an hour and had like shared a couple of emails and phone calls with them on the worst day of their life with the beam and smile on their face is incredible because I think there's a lot less of a like every, anybody wants to die well generally speaking nobody wants to die but everyone's kind of getting it into the head now that we're gonna we may as well make the best of it and people tend to focus more on a celebration of life now for a funeral mm. and um very much subscribe to that way of thinking yeah. and on most of the funerals you do like older people who are going to die anyway as opposed to accidents where it's tragic not necessarily but i think this that would be two different very different yeah well i mean i never know what i'm walking into really because yeah. like I, that, I was having this conversation with a lady the other day she was like it must be dead sad what you're doing i was like actually it's it's really cathartic to know that i'm helping helping because yeah. When I tip up, everyone's dead nervous. And when I when I leave, and I'm like, look, I've got plenty to get my teeth into there. I'm going to go and get it written up. There's like a big sigh of relief. And they're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. And I'm like, what were you expecting? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about how you moved on from being more involved in... What was your job before you're obviously now self-employed? Mm-hmm. Um, tell us the difference between the two jobs that you do did, did and do. Um, Jesus Christ. I'll make you sound clever on edit this, don't worry. Oh, fucking hell. I won't. Yeah, okay. Funeral directors have got to look after so much more. Everyone sees, like, somebody walking in front of a car with a top hat and cane. Then that's a, that's a cinch. Not much to do there. Um, the main thing that I was good at on that side, or the, the main thing that I enjoyed, which was why I was good at it, was speaking to people um, and going through exactly what they wanted and then executing that on the day. Um so now, whereas I used to be responsible for that side and the logistics of bringing somebody into our care from a hospital or from the home residence, liaison with the council in order to get the date and time that they wanted and they couldn't have any other date and time, and sorting that out with a church at the same time or with a, a celebrant or a humanist at the same time who can look after them and they want this, that and the other and all three things have got to match up. So there's a lot of spinning plates. And then you've got people that you're working with who are responsible for other sides, but you're on the front line, you're the front facing member of staff for the client. So if anything goes wrong, you get it from a, a grieving family, which can obviously be quite intense at times. And it's not always something that you've actually done wrong, but you've kind of just got to bend over and take yeah. your medicine. Um, now, I'm not responsible for anything but the day of the funeral. And it's not even getting them there on time. If a hearse breaks down, so loads that's less not really any well, of then. my business. Yeah. If I'm there and I do the service and everybody's happy with that, I, I get everybody's names right and yeah. like I don't have a Tourette's attack during the middle of the yeah. service or anything like that or my phone rings, then I'm, I'm quite limited into how wrong I can get it. Yeah. I make a point of sending the service out beforehand so that they can have a good read and make sure that I've got everything in an appropriate order. Um, so there's no, like I'm not going to miss any grandchildren's names off or call a say to Stephen for an hour after knowing someone for ten years, um, and it just kind of it it's damage limitation in terms of what can go wrong, which gives us a lot more confidence to be able to deliver it professionally, knowing that it's all going to be right. Yeah, so you sw- it's a different. It's there's no, there's nowhere near as much pressure. No. Nah. But having said that, on that side, there's not. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to move on. Obviously, you swap the pressure of being employed. And like working in that environment to now being self-employed, how are you finding the pressure of that? Because we're both self-employed, have been for years. Right. And I remember when you switched over, we had conversations to mm-hmm. talk about it. How are you 
Are you still in your first year of it, aren't you? Yeah, just. Yeah, how are you finding it? I've been dead lucky um, in terms of how I left the company I was working for. Like, I didn't leave under a cloud. I left with quite a heavy heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was appreciated. I think about the, the nature in which I did it. So the winter and Christmas times is like, oh, that's quite a peak time for um, the funeral industry. And it was the middle of November when I left. And one of the reasons it then was because if I left it any longer, it was going to like ruin people's Christmases. Because if I'd gone, somebody else would have to be on call on the mm-hmm. days that I was supposed to be. Somebody who might have had plans for Christmas because they weren't going to be working might be then thrust into an environment where they were going to have to work Christmas Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I just need to do it now so that plans can be made and it's going to be less detrimental to their um, their plans. Uh, but also I just needed to get out because I was needed to be more present at home because of the things that were going on there. Um, so that was good in a sense that I didn't piss anyone off who I was going to be relying on. Because mm-hmm. the majority of people, if you're arranging a funeral, you say, have you got anybody in mind who you'd like to look after the service? Meaning like a celebrant or a vicar or whatever. Most of them would be like, no, just get who you want. Get who you think would be good for yeah. us. I'd say 90% of the people that I've looked after have been because the funeral director said, I know just the guy, he'll right. do this for you. This is what you want, he can deliver you that. Um, and I've only been able to have, like to hit the ground running like I have because I had such a good relationship with the people that I used to work with. Mm-hmm. And then that's sort of now filtering out into other funeral directors who are, I've like hustled a little bit and seen at the crematorium mm-hmm. and said, look, this is what I'm doing. Um, Give us a try if you get stuck. I know you've got your favourite people that you like to use, mm-hmm. but if you can't use them ever and you're short, I'm only a mile away from the creme and it's in my best interest to make you look good. So right. if you suggest me and I do a good job, it's mutually beneficial because they were like, he was meant, he suggested this guy who did a good service. And I was like, it's not in, it, it doesn't help anybody for me not to be meant at what I'm doing for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, See, have you replaced the word service with gig? There's a lot of similarities in what we do. Yeah. In the well, it's it's just big, about delivering the best service, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's definitely less dead people in my gigs yeah but yeah it's it's similar really like the pressure of being self-employed now that you do off the ground because to be fair moving from being employed with a decent salary and whatever and stability sick pay to, um, and all that to being self-employed ah, must, must have been scary we've we've had other little jobs before didn't get us wrong but we've been primarily musicians for years yeah so we're used to that sort of pressure but like yeah I think at the age of 33 now I don't know if I would move from salary to self-employed. The only thing Having said that, I honestly think I'm busier now than I was pre-COVID. Yeah. The only thing for me, I think, is like, I feel like I have to work every single weekend. Like, yeah, I don't feel like I can afford to take... Well, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't feel like I can afford to ever take a week off. Because I'm uh, like, yeah. it's a double hit. It's like, you, you earn no money and you spend money, money and there's no holiday pay. So I always yeah. feel like you have to work my lot. Like, uh, COVID did that too. Well, yeah. Like, when we came back out of COVID... I took any fucking gig I could really yeah. pretty much and now I'm still in that mentality if a gig comes in even if I don't want to do it yeah like, oh, fine, I, I do that I've too i to work starting to get a bit better at it now oh speaking of that is there any funerals you turn away I ha- I'm not in a in a position to at the moment and to be honest with you I don't I don't want to get there because the people that are asking for us they're not asking us because I'm their mate and they want to make sure I'm doing alright they're asking us because they think I'll do the best job for that family yeah right. so what about the what about the company you work for? Would they turn funerals away if you could tell people? Nah. We'll move on to another thing I want to ask you in a second. But like, not everyone that comes and asks you for the service you're going to provide can be nice. I bet there is some mm-hmm. assholes. 
There's always assholes. I mean, it's especially in in as tense yeah, an exactly. environment so, as it is. So would that would the company knock people away and say, "Listen, we don't really want to do that." Uh no, no, I don't think so. Because at the end of the day, like it, you don't really know what a person's like, even if they are being like that. You don't. You, yeah. It could just be down to grief. Um, there's there's so many different um, different factors at play, but ultimately it's a business. So mm-hmm. even if somebody is an asshole, their money spends the same as anybody Still, else. Yeah, yeah. So you've just got to suck it up. If anything, like I mean, I I have not since I started this, um, but I have dealt with people who I, I wouldn't get on with in any line of yeah. of real life. Um, and it, it really makes you appreciate like the good families. And the, yeah, yeah. And the, I've got to be honest, they're like nine out of ten, or yeah. just the soundest people that you'll ever meet. And people are just so thankful for you helping them at that time because people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And if you can guide them, I mean, even if it's something as basic as like, oh, we don't know, um, like we don't know what which flowers we want, or we don't know which florist we're going to go to. Yeah. Things like saying, well, ah, nah, this one will do this for that price, mm-hmm. and that one will do that one for that price. But it's not about the money. Well, even if it's not about the money, their mm-hmm. flowers are better and they're 40 quid cheaper. Have a word with them. Say what you think. Um, or if like people are stuck on music, mm-hmm. music's obviously such a poignant thing for a funeral and quite often people say, we've got three tracks, but we don't know which way to put them around. And they might have like Andrea Rue, yeah. his version of Time to Say Goodbye. Um Celine Dion, my heart will go on and wham, wake me up before you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> like, what order do I put them? And you're like, well, put the happy one at the end and then everyone's right. leaving on yeah, a bit yeah. of an upbeat one. So um, people just really appreciate like sound professional opinion, especially when you're looking out for their best interest. Yeah. What's the weirdest song you've ever had to put on and what's your funeral song? First one uh, was, for, I'm sure it was a lady, she was like 82 and she had uh, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. That's excellent. Nice. That's um, brilliant. To the point where the superintendent, the crematorium, came running up to us to apologise for it being the wrong song. I was like, it's not the wrong song. He's like, you heard the words? That's, that's I was excellent. like, I don't think she heard the words. I think she just liked how, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> she just used to like how vampy it was. It took her back to her pump. Brilliant. Um, but I, that was that was a, an interesting one. Um Mine, ugh. Oh, it's proper wanky talking to musicians about wanting cool play for your music. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. Uh, we saw them live at Sunderland, and when they played Fix You, they had all these daft flashy light bracelets and stuff. And oh, it, went off that, and yeah. it was it was canny thing. And then one day, I was at Centre Parks, so I went for a run dead early in the morning, and it was just as the sun was coming up, and I was running up a hill, um, and that came on in my headphones and it was the live version and it was that bit when everyone's little it was in Paris so everyone's French wristbands lit up um, yeah. and the crowd cheered as I got to the top of the hill and I nearly started to cry oh, man. <laughs> and it just every time I hear it now it makes us feel emotional and I, I, the boys know that's what I want um, I often joked for a long time that TikTok by Kesha would be on the way into the crowd but <laughs> I can't remember why <laughs> just to move everybody along quicker yeah I guess yeah Right then, we're having a little break, but check your podcast feed for part two 